Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. From the same words of encouragement. Well, the big ideal in dysfunctional is this. Is that there's a tension between what we call a functional family and what most of us know as our dysfunctional family. You know, Jesus taught an unattainable truth, and that was you can experience a New Testament functional family. And he gave some very clear instructions for this, but the reality is many of us find out that we don't live in that functional family, and instead what we do is we live in this, we don't meet up to that standard, and we get this tension. And this unattainable truth of a functional family, it hurts. And so what happens is um, we find out that Jesus, even though he gave this unattainable functional family, he also provided grace. He also provided a way. That you know what? If you didn't have that functional family yesterday, it was dysfunctional today. Tomorrow, his mercies are new and you have an opportunity to experience that functional family. And so what we encounter here in the church, what we encounter as Christ followers, and in reality, what everybody encounters in, there is a tension between grace and truth. What do I mean by tension between grace and truth? Well, here's what I mean. Um, the tension is this. The desired state and our current state. You know, many of you, maybe uh, your current state is single, and your desired state is to be married. And there's tension there. You're looking for the perfect person, but after a while, you're like, you know what, I'll settle. I just need someone. Maybe it's not that. Maybe, uh, ladies, you're wanting your husband to be in church with you, and, and your current state is that they're not. And the desired state is that they're in church and they're leading your family. Maybe, parents, you have a wayward child, and that's your current state. And the desired state is to have children that serve the Lord. Maybe your current state is that you're divorced. And your desired state is that you find somebody that will live out those words till death do us part. Maybe the current state is that you're living dysfunctional family. And yet, what you heard last week, what I want to share with you this week is you desire to have that New Testament functional family. The problem is that are we willing to embrace that standard of the New Testament functional family? The standard that hardly any of us ever live up to and we fall short of. And instead we redefine it and we, make, and we accept that dysfunctional relationship. And here is probably the struggle that most of us as parents have is we want our children to have better than what we did. We want them to have better jobs. We want them to have better education. We want them to have better cars. We want them to have better family relationships. And yet we still settle and demonstrate a dysfunctional family relationship. Well, praise God. Jesus laid out and his disciples shared with us through Scripture that there is what is called the New Testament 
dysfunctional family. And in this, he laid out four very easy instructions for us to follow, all right? And so I need your help, okay? So there's an there's a instruction for each category. I'm going to say the category, and then you read off what the instruction was, all right? It's right there in front of you. So uh, husbands, wives, that wasn't just for the wives. Everyone do this. Wives, children, and fathers. That's it. It's simple. If we could just follow and live out these instructions, we would have what the New Testament calls a functional family. But here's the reality. Husbands, love your wives. Fail. Wives, submit to your husbands. Fail. Children, obey your parents. Fail. Fathers, don't embitter your children. Fail. And see, we don't do this because um, we hate these people. These are our family members. These are the ones that we love more than anybody else. And yet, matter of fact, I've seen where dads embitter. I've been that dad who's frustrated my kids, and I was doing it with the best intentions at heart. I've seen it where children who want to obey their parents, they find themselves in a situation where they don't. They refuse. They disobey. They rebel. And they don't realize what the Bible says, and that is rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And wives want to submit to their husbands, but yet they, they're in a relationship where the husband doesn't lead, doesn't lead spiritually, and it's hard. And then husbands, we struggle practically. We say the words, but we don't always live out the action of loving our wives. Well, today what I want to do is I want to take on the toughest one in that list right there. All right? And, and maybe you've noticed that maybe it stands out to you. Maybe it's directed towards the ladies. I want to talk today about wives submit to your husbands. And I want to share with you a verse in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. And it starts off this way, wives... Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, wives and ladies, I understand it's easy to get a little bit upset at that. Like, why is that one the one we're going to talk about today? You're skipping over the husbands. I know that. But here's what I want you to understand is that each component applies to everybody. You know, the Bible tells us that we all should love one another. Matter of fact, it says, that's how they'll know you are my disciples if you have loved one to another. So the loving isn't just for the husbands. The submitting here isn't just for the wives. I'm going to show you that today. See, the specific instructions that you see are the most difficult. The most difficult thing for a husband to practically do is to love his wife. The most difficult thing for a wife to do is to submit to her husband. The most difficult thing for the children to do is to obey their parents. And the most difficult thing for fathers is to not frustrate, not to create bitterness in their children's lives. 
so it's easy for us to point to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. And it's easy for us to point out to the wise. Matter of fact, I've had husbands come to me and talk to me and say, you know, Ronnie, my wife just doesn't get this verse. I say, what verse is that? And they always pull out Ephesians 5, 22. And so here's what I've realized is that, you know, and, and I point this out to them. I said, what's the first word of that sentence? And they're like, wise. I said, well, that, let, let's let her work on that. Let's go find the ones that talk about fathers and husbands, and let's work on that. You may find out that, that they're a lot easier for them to live out their verse. But even here in Ephesians 5.22, that's not the start. Go back one verse. In Ephesians 5.21, it says this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ladies, you can just go ahead and wipe your forehead that the submitting thing isn't just for you. It's for all of us. We all have to learn to submit. That's what Scripture tells us. But the problem is that in our culture, we hear that word submit and we cringe. We hear that word submit and we put our defense up. But we don't have to. Because really, what that word means is honor. And the concept I want to talk to you today about is honor. Only, when I say the word honor, what I'm referring to is mutual submission. Because Ephesians 5.21 says we all need to submit. Many of us are wearing these uh, little bands that say Philippians 2.3, let each esteem others better than themselves. That's not just words. That's not just a meme. It's a principle for us to live out. And so here in this um, concept of honor today, you know, we see this word honor all throughout Scripture. In the Ten Commandments, it says, Children, honor thy father and thy mother. The Bible tells us to honor the Lord with our, the substance of our first fruits. You hear me talk about that, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And a lot of times when we think about the word honor, we think about us giving reverence or acknowledging somebody who's in power. But that's not what the Bible teaches when it comes to honor. Well, you know, that is something that, that maybe works out, but that isn't something that, um, the, that's not the concept of honor. What, what is the concept of honor? See, Jesus changed what honor is all about. And in this case, honor is about leveraging my power my influence, and my resources. That's what Jesus did. Jesus leveraged his power. Jesus leveraged his influence. Jesus leveraged his resources for those who didn't have the power to do it themselves. Moms, when you want to honor, when you want to submit, you leverage your power. You leverage your influence. You leverage your resources. Dads, you leverage your power, your influence, your resources for your children, for your wife, for your relatives, for your friends. That's what honor is. Grandparents, leverage your power, your influence, your resources. And when I talk about resources, it's what you have access to. You don't have to leverage resources that you don't own. 
You don't have to leverage resources that you, you can't get. You just need to leverage what you have. And you do this for someone else's benefit. And so what I want to do this morning is I'm going to share with you a very practical step of how every one of us can walk out of here today and leverage our power, leverage our influence, leverage our resources for somebody who needs it, for somebody close to you, for somebody in your family. And you do it this simple way. You ask the question. And the question that you need to ask is this. What can I do to help? Very simple question. What can I do to help? Well, I'm here to share this with you, kids. If you want to amaze your parents, if you want your parents to look great, ask that question in front of their friends. When they've got somebody over, you know, ask that, hey, Mom, Dad, what can I do? You know, do you need anything from me before I go upstairs and, and game the rest of the night? And your parents will probably, the jaw will drop down, they'll put it back up. And they'll say, no, everything's good. Then when you walk out of the room, your uh, parents' friends are going to say, teach us, show us. We, we are unworthy to be in your presence. How did you get your children to do that? Amen, parents? Fathers, every day, you need to look your kids in the eye and you need to ask them this question, what can I do to It might be homework. It might be something in the yard. It might be a problem they have at school. It might be a problem that they're just having in life. And you know what? It doesn't matter what age they are. You ask this question to your children that are in elementary school. You ask this to your children that are in junior high. You ask this to the senior high. You ask this to your adult children. What can I do? Because the danger is this. As parents, we want what's best for our kids. And a lot of times our children don't understand they're going in a foolish direction. They're going to do something that's going to hurt them. And so we try to help them and steer them away from that. But that's not what they hear. That's not what they feel. What instead is they feel like we're holding back or we're trying to hold them back. Or we're trying to keep good from them. And they don't understand this is for their best interest. And they won't learn until they go through those bad decisions. And so one of the things that I've learned is what's called the three R's. I learned this with my uh, young son, Caleb. I, I would, now, folks, I'm gifted in finding things that I want. You know, it's just, I, I can look at something and I, there could be a 99 things right about it and I can spot the one thing that's wrong. Anyone else have that gift? Yeah, okay, don't point. And so I would come home and I would notice that uh, Caleb had mowed the, the yard. It looked good. But remember, I'm gifted, right? And I would spot the, that spot over there by the bush that he missed with the weed eater. And I would spot that time he made the turn a little too short and there was grass left there. And so as I walked into the door of the house, I would see him uh, sitting there in a chair before the 60-inch screen gaming. And, and Caleb knew the, the, the deal. So when, I, when the door shut, I would start to walk up the steps and then I would stop. And then he would take the headphones off of his ears. And he'd look over at me and I'd say, hey, I saw you did the, the yard today. He said, yes, 
I said, it looks great. And then I put this word in there. But. Soon as I said but, he never heard the first phrase. It looks great. And so what I noticed is I would do this every week. And then every week, those missed portions just moved around the yard. He'd get the, the one over here, but then it'd be on this side of the fence. He'd get this bush, but then that bush would have it. And then I learned this principle called the three R's. And the three R's are this. If you will recognize something that they do that you like, and you reward it, now the reward, they have to consider it a reward. If you think it's a reward and they don't, it doesn't work. If you will recognize it and reward it, they will repeat it. And so I learned this concept, and I came in one day, and I saw the a couple of areas that he had missed, and again, these were so minor, no one else would even notice this. But I did. And then I would use the word but. And I stopped. I said, you know what? I just reckon, I think he came in one day, shut the door, two, three steps up the stairs. I look over at Caleb, he takes off his headphones. I said, hey, it looks like you did the yard today. I said, it looks incredible. And I go on upstairs. Now, I don't know, what ha I wish I would have had a video camera on him. You know, he's probably wondering, is that my dad? Are, are they cloning now? Is that uh, what's going on? And so that happened week after week. And then all of a sudden, here's what changed. I noticed that um, the little missus didn't start crawling around the yard. They disappeared. And not only did the yard start getting done incredibly, he started doing these crisscross patterns. And then I noticed it wasn't just the yard. I noticed that the trash can didn't go out on Monday and come back on Fridays. It went out on Mondays and came back Tuesday afternoon. I noticed, and I don't know if this happened with you, but with my kids... Uh, when I would ask them, hey, would you put this in our bedroom? They would go and they would put it in the bedroom, wouldn't say anything. And then when I walked upstairs, I would trip over it walking into the bedroom. They, they put it in the bedroom. But what I noticed was when I started using the three R's, that not only did it go into the bedroom, but it went up on top of something. Why? Because all of a sudden my son realized that I, I wasn't going to find them that one thing that's there. Oh, he knew it was there. He realized he wasn't perfect. But you know what? When it was coming from Dad, it was a lot harder. You know, somebody else could tell him all those little things, and he wouldn't even think twice of it. When Mom or Dad do it, it hurts. So, fathers, every day, you need to ask your kid, what can I do? Why? If you ask this question to your husband, they may not answer. But you still need that. If you ask this question to your husband, uh, they'll probably give you the answer that every other husband does. No, no, no. But here's what happens. When you ask that question, what you're doing is you're telling your husband, you know what? I'm aware that there's a burden on you that most people don't see. And I'll leverage my power, my influence, my resources to help you if you need. Just got to ask the question. Now, husbands, this would be a scary proposition for us to ask that question. What can I do to help? 
Matter of fact, uh, most husbands probably don't want to ask this question because they are afraid that the wives are going to take advantage of them. Well, I was working with a young man. Uh, he was in a, a, a men's small group with me down in Biloxi, Mississippi. And we were going through the book, The Five Love Languages. And he had stayed after one time, and uh, we started talking, and, and, and he shared with me that he was, um, because we have mixed audience here, I'm going to try to use the words right, he, he wanted his wife's attention. And it wasn't yet the way that he wanted And so, we're, again, we're in this book called The Five Love Languages. And, and I asked him, I said, did you and your wife take the survey? And, and he said, yes, we did. I said, what were your wife's love languages? And he said, number one was acts of service. And number two, gifts. I said, well, what, what acts of service have you done for your wife? He goes, I work. I bring home a paycheck. That's not what it means. I don't think she thinks that's a gift. She would think that's expected. I said, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm going to give you some advice. If you'll follow my advice, I promise you, you're going to get the attention that you're wanting from me. I said, are you willing to do this? I said, I'm willing to do this. I said, but you've you got to follow it completely. You can't deviate. I, said, I won't deviate. I said, so let's make a list of what are some acts of service you can do for your wife that she would appreciate. And so he made a list, and one of the things was he could vacuum around the house. I said, are you capable of vacuuming around the house? He said, I, I can do it. I said, all right. I, I said, what else could you, what's another act? Of, he goes, I can clean up the kitchen. I said, are you capable of cleaning up the kitchen? You know how to start the dishwasher? You know how to put everything up where it's supposed to be? I can do that. And so he listed a couple more acts of service. I was like, all right, you've got, we got something we can work with. You. All right, what about gifts? I said, when's the last time you bought your wife a gift? Now, he had just told me about the gaming system he had bought recently. And you know my philosophy on how does a, wife, a husband love his wife? Well, he invests that same amount of money in something for her. He didn't. Hadn't. And wasn't going to. And so I said, what is a gift that your wife would appreciate? He says, well, she likes to shop. I'm like, I know what you're talking about. Men, have you ever had that happen? Where your wife comes in carrying like 50 bags? It says, you're not going to believe how much money I saved today. And you're like, you're right. I said, how much money could you give your wife to go shopping? And he said, well, I, I, you know, we could spare $150 right now. I said, here's what you need to do. I said, you need to give your wife $150. You need to send her shopping. All right, now, does she like shopping with the kids? I said, are you going to babysit them or buy a babysitter? He says, I, I can watch the kids. And I, and I said, look, this is what you've got to do. You, you've got to do some vacuuming, unsolicited. You've got to help in the kitchen, unsolicited, put the gaming console down, help out. And then you need to pick a date, set it up for her that works for her calendar, not yours, her calendar, and then give her $150 and tell her don't come back with any of it. And I said, you can't seek your wife's attention this week. Just ignore that. And when we get back together next week, we'll talk about that. 
Well, the next week came, and he came in the door with a glow. I said, did you vacuum? He goes, I vacuumed. I said, did you clean this? He goes, I did three nights. I did this. I said, did you give her $150 and send her shopping? He, I said, I did that. Did she go shopping? Did she spend it all? And a little more. I said, all right, next week's going to be great. He goes, oh, I've got to tell you something. He goes, I tried. He goes, I had to fight her off. And I gave in. You see, for so long, he thought that if he asked his wife, what can I do to help, she was going to take advantage of him. She was going to take his help and then expect more and add to the list. And what he didn't realize was, see, God didn't tell the wives, love your husbands, because they don't need to be told to do that. They just do that. And, and husbands, I'm here to tell you, that yeah, you're going to be afraid to ask that question, but you shouldn't. Here's why. The reason why most of us won't ask that question, what can I do to help, is because when we ask that question or we won't ask that question, we're withholding you from the relationship. And any time that you withhold you from the relationship, your relationship will be dysfunctional. Let me read Ephesians 5.21 to you one more time. It says, submitting to one another. And the second part of that says, out of reverence for Christ. So, so, man, I shared that illustration with you, but I'm here to tell you, you don't do it because of the attention that you're going to get later. You do it because the Bible tells us to submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ, not reverence for our wives, not reverence for our children, not reverence for whoever it is. We are to submit. We are to, to give up that relationship, to leverage our power, our influence for those who need it. You know why? Because Jesus leveraged His power for my benefit. He leveraged His power for me. He leveraged His power to do something that I couldn't do. You see, He died for my sin instead of requiring me to do it. You know, there's a good example in uh, the New Testament about Jesus doing this. And, and it's, it's not out of Romans 4, but um, if, if you've uh, heard about the time, the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. And His disciples are arguing. They know the kingdom's about to come. And they're arguing, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus didn't answer Instead, he went over and got a towel and wrapped it around himself. He got a bowl and he filled it with water. And he got a cloth and he started washing his feet. You see, he leveraged his power. He leveraged his influence. He leveraged his resources for his disciples. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read three verses to you, and it's this. Verse 6 in Romans chapter 5 says, For while we were still weak, Jesus has the power. Jesus has the resources. But while we were weak, 
at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7 kind of clarifies this. It says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. You see people do this. They put their life on the line for other people. So it's not something that happens every day. It's not something that we do every day. But many of us would in the right circumstance. But verse 8 clarifies and it says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, a lot of people get confused with church. They make salvation a lot harder than it really is. Matter of fact, when you share how easy the gospel is, they disenfranchise and say, well, it, it can't be that easy. That's impossible. But that's exactly what it is. Christ did what we couldn't do. He died on the cross. A perfect person lived a perfect life. And yet he died so that Ronnie Taylor wouldn't have to. He died, put your name in the blank, so that you wouldn't have to. And all that's required of us is what we find in Romans 10, and it says that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He died, and that God raised Him again, you will be saved. I'd encourage you, if you're watching online, go to our website, tbccentralia.com slash next. You know, there are next steps for all of us, no matter where you're at, no matter how long you've been a a Christian or how long you've not, there's a next step for us. And the most important step that any of us can take, no matter where we're at today, is that we get in, that we establish a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we accept that free gift, that we accept... See, Jesus said, what can I do to help? And then He provided the way. Because if we're honest... We all recognize that we've crossed the line. We've sinned. We've fallen short of God's expectation. And Jesus said, what can I do to help? And our answer would be obvious, and that is, how do we get to heaven? And Jesus' answer is even better. I've already done it. I've died for you. I gave up. Heaven. To live on earth, to be rejected by man. The question that we have to ask ourselves is are we going to accept this help? It's up to us. Are we going to accept this help? So I look at that question one more time. What can I do to help? And I want to share this with you as I close. And that is this. When you want to ask that question the least, you need to ask that question the most. While I've been talking and I've been talking about this question, I'm guessing that somebody's come to mind that you need to ask this question to. If that's the case, this is all I'm going to ask for you. Would you raise your hand if you've recognized, you know what, there's somebody in my life that I need to ask the question, what can I do? to help. I need a couple more hands. Here's what I would encourage you. 
Don't forget about it by lunchtime. Lean in. Men, your family needs you to do it. They need you to lean in. I would encourage you, don't let tomorrow finish. Show up here at 7 p.m. Join us and learn that you're not the only guy going through some of those things. Women, if you'll learn to submit, you won't regret. In God's economy, it just works. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you have seen the hands. More importantly, God, you've seen the hearts that were represented by those hands. God, I ask you to do a powerful thing in our church. I ask you to do a powerful thing with those that are watching online right now. God, I ask that you would empower them through your Holy Spirit to follow through on that, to ask the question, to humble themselves, and to honor their wives, to honor their husbands, to honor their children, to honor their brothers and sisters to honor those that are around them, God. And just like you gave us that example, Jesus, that they would leverage their power, that they would leverage their influence, that they would leverage their resources on behalf of those. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, before the worship team begins to sing, I just want to tell you about next week. Next week, the Word is a Word that no family exists without and it's conflict every family that I've known has experienced conflict and I want to share with you a, a simple principle that when you fight with family even though you win you don't win last week uh, Pastor Jermaine introduced us to this song called Be in the Light now's a chance for you As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.